Hey, what's up, guys? We are so excited that you're joining us today. If you're a part of our Grace community, whether in person or online, we would love to connect with you on social media at the Grace AG on all social outlets. But the best way to connect is to join our online community at live.graceassembly.org. Here, you can connect and engage with other Grace members around the world. So, we hope today's message encourages and challenges you. Let's jump right in. Now, some of you may know that this week is Valentine's Day. So, I have a story. A woman was taking a nap on Valentine's Day afternoon. After she woke up, she said to her husband, I just dreamed that you gave me a gorgeous and expensive diamond necklace for Valentine's Day. I just dreamed that. What do you think that means? He said to her, you'll know tonight. That evening, her husband came home with a small package for her. She was thrilled, so she opened it and found a book titled, The Meaning of Dreams. (laughs) All right. So guys, you can take that with wisdom. Uh, One more story. I heard about a lady who died. Uh, She found herself in heaven, standing at the pearly gates. Uh, she goes up to St. Peter there, and she says, uh, hey, I'm, I'm so glad I, I made it to heaven. And, and, he's, and Peter said, well, not quite yet. In order to get into heaven, you've got to spell a word. And she says, well, what word? And he says, any word that you want to spell. And so she spelled love, L-O-V-E. And he's like, welcome to heaven. And so Peter said, hey, uh, could you man my post for a second? I've got to go do something. But so if anybody comes up, just do what I did, okay? And she said, okay. So she's standing there waiting, waiting, waiting. And sure enough, here comes her (laughs) ex-husband. And she says to him, what are you doing here? He said, I just had a heart attack. Did I really make it to heaven? She said, not yet. Before you can get into heaven, you have to spell a word. And he said, what word? And she said, Czechoslovakia. (laughs) So in honor of that, I've got one question to ask you. Why are relationships so hard? (laughs) You feel that? Why are relationships so hard? Now, we know relationships are important. A couple weeks ago, we we took some time and talked, described from the Bible that we are created by a God of relationship for relationships. It's how we're designed. We need people. We need relationship. We need family in our lives. And we can't live without relationships. Uh, But why does it seem like all of us seem to have a little bit of the Jerry Springer show in our families? Anybody know what I'm talking about? And and I want to explain it to you. Why why don't relationships just, why aren't they always successful? Why why aren't they always easy? Well, here's the first answer to the question is because we're all related to the first broken family. In Genesis chapter 3, God creates Adam and Eve. He places them in the Garden of Eden, and everything was perfect. 
Not only was their atmosphere and setting perfect, but they were perfect. They had perfect relationship with God, and they had a perfect relationship with one another. But then both of them sinned. And what happened after they sinned? Well, they began to blame God and each other. The Bible says they were full of shame, so they tried to cover themselves. There was guilt, there was condemnation, and so, and they got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Then they have kids, and Cain, their son, murders, violently murders, their other son, Abel. Now, we've read that story so often, but I want you to put themselves in, your, in their position. That's a pretty broken family. And we're all related to them by blood and through our spiritual connection. Now, have you ever noticed how hard it is to find an example of a family in the Bible that's got it all together? It's a lot easier to find families in the Bible uh, that have a lot of sin and a lot of pain than it is to find families with a lot of harmony. Let me give you uh, just a few examples, and and we're going to stay in the book of Genesis. We're not going to have to go very far. Uh, So here we have Abraham, right, the father of faith. This is Genesis chapter 11. He lies twice about his wife actually being his sister. And then uh, Sarah later is grieved over her infertility. And so she comes up with this idea for her husband, Abraham, to sleep with one of her servants, Hagar. Hagar gets pregnant, has a baby. Jealousy, envy, rivalry ensues. Hagar is kicked out of the house. Abraham is passive about the whole thing. Genesis chapter 19. How about Lot? Abraham's nephew. Lot lives in Sodom, one of the most wicked places of all of history. Angels come to Lot, say, you need to get out. He doesn't want to leave. He literally is dragged out of Sodom. And then later, his two daughters get him drunk so, they, so he would sleep with them and they get pregnant. Why do you need Netflix when you have the Bible? <laughs> Genesis 25, Abraham's son Isaac. He marries Rebecca. They have twin boys. He has his favorite. She has her favorite. And this sibling rivalry goes on for 20 years. Esau sells his birthright for a bowl of soup and later grieves his parents by marrying a foreigner. And then Esau holds to this 20-year murderous grudge against his young conniving brother, Jacob. Genesis 27, Jacob said conniver, deceives his dad to get the, the blessing of the firstborn son. He dresses up as his brother Esau and, and, and lies to his dad so that he'll get the birthright. And oh, by the way, his mom helped him do it. Imagine the Jerry Springer episode on that family. Genesis 29. Jacob's uncle, Laban. These are all family members, by the way. Deceives Jacob. He's, he's kind of getting, uh, he's reaping what he sowed here. Uh, so, so Laban deceives Jacob because Jacob loves Rachel 
And so on their wedding night, Laban pulls the switcheroo. I don't know how this happens or how this worked, but he gives Jacob uh, Leah's sister, uh, excuse me, Rachel's sister Leah, he wakes up in the morning, hey, I married the wrong girl. And so as a result, uh, Jacob ends up marrying sisters. This is better than any reality TV show you've ever seen in your life. And of course, they, they both have kids and, and, and they end up uh, with a bunch of sibling rivalry uh, where there's competition for their kids, including giving their service to Jacob as concubines. And oh, by the way, uh, between them, they produce the 12 patriarchs of Israel. Now, let me go ahead and just fast forward a little bit. When we get to heaven, all 12 of those names will be on the gates of heaven. Oh, my word. Okay, Uh, Genesis 34, one of Jacob's daughters, Dinah, is raped by a man named Shechem, who then wants to marry her. So Dinah's brothers, Simeon and Levi, respond by massacring an entire town. Sounds like a normal day in Greenwood, Indiana, right? (laughs) Genesis 35, Jacob's oldest son, Reuben, commits incest and sleeps with the mother of one of his half-brothers. I'm not making this up. Those of you who've been reading the one-year Bible, you got through Genesis shaking your head. What is up with these people? Genesis 37, nine of Jacob's sons conspire to kill another son, a brother of theirs named Joseph. Instead of killing him, they sell him as a slave. And then they lie to their dad to make him think that he was violently killed. And they keep this lie for 22 years. These people are not okay. One more, Genesis 38. Judah, another one of Jacob's sons, becomes a a widower, and so he starts frequenting prostitutes. This happened so often that his daughter-in-law, Tamar, whom he had dishonored, knew that if she had disguised herself as a prostitute that he would sleep with her. He does, and she gets pregnant. This is just the first book of the Bible. (laughs) So, I came here to encourage you. If your family is not okay right now, if your relationships uh, are hard, if there's no harmony in your relationships right now, take heart. You are most likely not as bad as any of these people that I just mentioned. Right? Now, why are these stories in the Bible? and, and, And why does God lead with them? Can I tell you, it's because God has chosen not to hide the brokenness of men and women. God chooses not to hide the sinfulness and the effects of sin in our lives. And can I go ahead and tell you, we shouldn't either. Uh, Let me me put it to you this way. The default setting for all relationships is brokenness. The default setting for all relationships is brokenness. 
So when Adam and Eve sinned uh, in the Garden of Eden, there were serious consequences, deadly consequences. Uh, Theologians call it the fall of man or the depravity of man. Because when sin came to us, sin brings death and depravity. So sin affected all of us and sin infected all of us. Now remember, I just said that before sin, Adam and Eve were in perfect relationship with God and perfect relationship with one another. Relationships were easy before sin. After they sinned, their relationship with God was broken and their relationships with one another were broken. And because we're all related physically and spiritually to Adam and Eve, we too are broken. And this is why I say we all have a little bit of the Jerry Springer show in our families. The Bible puts it this way in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's not a single one of us that has not been infected by sin and affected by sin. And one of the things that sin affects is our relationships. And because of the, of the fall we are infected when it comes to our relationships. And so the default setting for relationships because of sin is brokenness. What I'm trying to tell you this is this. If you do nothing, if you invest nothing, if, if you are passive about your relationships, if you're not intentional about developing good relationships and building healthy relationships, your relationships will deteriorate. All of them. Why can't we all just get along? Well, because we're broken. And we're always gonna drift toward brokenness. We're always gonna drift toward broken relationships. So, We, in our marriages, in in our relationships with our kids, in our friendships, our relationships in our spiritual family, in the church, if we do nothing, then we're always going to default toward brokenness. And so the reason is, is because we're all infected by sin. Are you with me so far? And so uh, the, the next thing I want to tell you is that because of that, good relationships take work. This, this is not too deep here today, but I think it's, it's very profound because relationships are always trending toward brokenness. We've got to always swim upstream. We've got to go against the tide. We've got to grow our relationships. We've got to strengthen our relationships. We've got to invest in our relationships. We've got to pray for our relationships. We've got to spend time in our relationships Good preaching, Pastor Wayne, amen. Now, uh, I'm not trying to tell you that you are doomed to have bad relationships. Doomed despair, brokenness everywhere, God help us all. That is not what I'm saying. You can have good relationships, you can have strong relationships, I'm just trying to paint a picture that it's gonna require some effort on your part. It's gonna require some work on your part. Now, let me, let, me, let me show you what I'm talking about because the Bible is a book about relationships. And there are hundreds of verses that the Bible gives us about how to have good relationships. And, and I'm gonna give you four 
commandments in the Bible about uh, relationships, and you tell me, is it easy or is it hard? You ready? Now, those of you that have the handwritten notes, I put a chart, one to 10, on each one of these verses. One is, this is super easy. 10, this is super hard. Okay, so here's, here's the first one. Ephesians chapter four, verse 29. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. 10 right now, <laughs> right? Um, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Uh, so this is the first one, Ephesians 4.29. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but choose to edify and build up people with your words. Is that easy or is that hard? All I'm hearing is hard. I didn't hear any, a one easy person say easy. Right, on a scale of one to 10, what would you say? One being this is super easy, 10, this is super hard. Would you, would you use your fingers and just go ahead and give me, on a scale of one to 10, what, what I'm looking around, I see 10s. I see all 10s. What's wrong with you people? That you act like you have no control over your words, right? Hey, the reality is that's hard. Is it possible? Yes. The scripture commands us to do it. I'm going to know if you're going to have good relationships, you have to work on your words because it's easy to just let it fly and say whatever you want to say, but it's harder to have self-control and control and instead of degrading, edifying. Instead of, uh, instead of uh, assassinating someone's character, building up somebody, even if, even if you don't feel like it. Come on, somebody. So our words are going to have powerful, uh, the Bible says our words have a powerful effect on our relationships. And so we can follow the scripture. It's just not easy. It takes some work. Here's one, Colossians 3. Put up with one another. I mean, just stop right there. <laughs> right? Put up with one another. Forgive one another if you're holding something against someone. Forgive just as the Lord forgave you. Is that easy or is that hard? All right. I heard a bunch of hards and one easy. Now, in, let me put it to you this way. Without God's help, is this easy or hard? It's impossible. It's impossible. Because we're all bent toward holding grudges and being unforgiven, you know? And this is why the Bible says, don't render evil for evil, because we want to render evil for evil. You say something against me, I'm gonna say something against you. You do me dirty, I'm gonna do you dirty. I'm, matter of fact, I'm gonna do you worse. Don't mess with me. That's our culture, right? But that is not what God's word says. If you're gonna have quality relationships, somebody's gonna have to forgive somebody at some point in your life. Now, why is it easy? Because of Jesus. Because the scripture says, forgive as the Lord forgave us. But in ourselves, how many know, this is very, very hard. I got two more. Remember, there are hundreds. I only picked four. Uh, 1 Peter chapter three, verse seven. Husbands, likewise, 
dwell with them, talking about your wives, with understanding. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand. I'm not gonna ask you to respond, <laughs> easy or hard, <laughs> okay? But that's, <laughs> that's called wisdom, which I will be preaching later this year on the book of Proverbs. Sorry, I'm, I'm currently reading Proverbs myself right now. I'm praying, wisdom, Jesus, wisdom. I'm just expressing wisdom right here. It does remind me of a story, though. Heard about a man that was walking on the beach. God said, son, you've been so faithful. I'm gonna grant you one special wish. He was so excited. He said, you know what, God? I've always wanted to go to Hawaii, but I'm afraid of flying on an airplane. So my wish is that you would build a road between California and Hawaii so I can drive to Hawaii. And God says, that's completely impossible. Think of all the logistics of rebar and concrete and steel and, 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 and all of those pillars. You're gonna have to make another wish. He said, okay, God, I'm married. I think it would be great if I could understand women, why they think like they think and why they feel like they feel. And God says, do you want two lanes on that bridge or four? <laughs> Come on, somebody. Amen. Now, this goes for both men and women. Is it easy to dwell with them with understanding? No. It's, it takes work. It takes effort, doesn't it? Last one, uh, Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it's his glory to overlook an offense. Did you even know that was in the Bible? The Bible says when it comes to offense, it's better to overlook it, and it will be to your glory. The reason is, is because offense is everywhere. How I many know we could be offended every day, almost every minute of every day? And if we're constantly picking them up and holding on to them, it's gonna hurt us. And it's gonna be very hard on our relationships. So the Bible says it's actually better to overlook it and not hold on to it. Is this easy or hard? Go ahead, you can tell me. I didn't hear an easy one there. They're all hard, that's hard. That's hard to overlook an offense. On a scale of one to 10, super easy, 10 very hard. Go ahead and show me your fingers to overlook an offense. I see 10s. Five, you're kind of in the middle. We'll talk about it in our small group on Tuesday, Derek, okay? <laughs> right? I see a lot of people with nines and tens. This is hard, right? And, and that just brings me, uh, well, let me, let me put it to you this way. Uh, think of your relationships like a garden. If you've ever had a garden in your backyard or you tried to grow vegetables or whatever, uh, when you put in the work of that garden, when you plant the right way, you add fertilizer, you water, uh, you pull the weeds, you do all of those things, what's the result? The result is fruit. The result is a harvest of good things. If you take care of it and put some time in it, it's gonna bear a lot of fruit. But what happens when you neglect a garden? You just put the thing in the ground and say, I'll see you in three months. You're not gonna see much in three months, right? Because you neglected it. Weeds are gonna grow up. 
uh, and gonna choke it out. Bugs are gonna arrive. If there's any fruit, they're gonna eat it, right? And you're not gonna have anything to enjoy. Now, I know this from firsthand experience because I grew up in the woods and uh, my family had a two-acre garden. I'm just gonna go ahead and tell you, if it's more than an acre, it's not a garden, that's a mini farm. So I grew up working a garden, okay? We canned everything. We froze everything. We raised chickens. We killed them. I know what hell smells like. <laughs> when you dip that chicken in that hot water and pull the... I can smell it right now. Mm. I'm sorry for bringing that up. So we, we, we froze everything. We canned everything. So in the spring of every year, we would burn off last year's. We were Kentuckians, man. We burned that sucker off. We only had to call the fire department twice. And then we would till it up, right? My dad would use that big rototiller, and, you know, straight, I don't, still don't know how he did all those straight lines, but he did it, you know? And then we would come along and we would plant cucumbers and tomatoes and watermelons and corn and, and all kinds of stuff, strawberries. I mean, two acres, people. And then we'd have to go water it, and then we'd fertilize it. I know what it means to hoe my own row. My, have you heard that phrase before? That's a thing, right? And so we would work it, and we would pull weeds all through the summer. School would start. First thing we do when we got home, go to the garden, hoe your robe, pull the weeds, blah, blah, blah. And then here's the thing. Harvest, I, I did not like the work, by the way. I didn't like it at all. But I did like the harvest. That was fun. Grabbing a big old watermelon, eat it. You know, apples off the tree, grapevines off the grape arbor, all this kind of stuff. You know, we would shuck the corn <laughs> and, and we would soak the corn cobs in a five gallon bucket of water and then use them as weapons against each other. I mean, <laughs> I told you there's a little Jerry Springer in all of our families. There was a lot in mine. You know, I have seven scars on my head, by the way, all from my childhood. I, could, I have a story for every single one. I, you gotta pray for me never to go bald because it will be difficult for everyone. <laughs> but I loved harvest, but I didn't like the work. And here's what I wanna end with here today. Relationships are worth the work. Relationships are worth the work but it is work. Relationships are worth the hard work of forgiving one another. Relationships are worth the hard work of being humble. The hard work of overlooking an offense. The hard work of being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger good relationships are worth it. Good relationships are worth the hard work of choosing to say helpful words, healing words, constructive words. Relationships are worth not saying everything that comes to mind. Relationships are worth the hard work of believing the best when you want to believe the worst. 
Show me somebody who's been married for any length of time, and I'll show you somebody who has had to work hard through some misunderstandings, through some offenses, and some conflicts. Show me anybody who's been part of the same church for a long time, and I'll show you somebody who has been willing to overlook an offense, has been willing to trust, willing to be humble. Show me anybody who has had a friendship with somebody for a long time, and I'll show you somebody who has been willing to forgive, willing to overlook, willing to believe the best. Are you hearing me today? We need relationships in our lives so much. We need good relationships, but our culture is not conducive to good relationships. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we have been given help to make it possible through Jesus. We started this message by describing all of the broken people in the book of Genesis. And that was just the first book of the Bible. We didn't even take time to get to David, King David and his dysfunctional family, or about Samuel's worthless sons, or Eli's worthless sons. We didn't even get to Solomon and his thousand wives. He writes the book of Proverbs, which apparently none of his family read. <laughs> it's good stuff. If we just read it and apply it, right? I think, I think God put all those stories in the Old Testament to show us something. Some people get offended when we read these stories. Like, how can those people be in heaven? Because we know that many of them will be because their name's going to be on the gates. How in the world are those people going to be in heaven? Same way you are. Same way I am. It's by the grace of God. I think God put those stories in the Old Testament to show us how bad sin is. God's not covering it. He said, I want you to see this. I want you to be aware of what's going on. That without Jesus, there is no hope. Without the cross, there is no hope for us in this life or the next. Because our default is shame and blame and guilt because of the broken world that we live in. And we are ashamed, so we try to cover ourselves, cover our sin, and we hide from each other. We blame everyone else for our problems. Adam said, God, the woman you gave me, in one sentence, he blames God and her. <laughs> Have you thought about that? And we do the same thing. And they're guilty, and they run from God, the God who loves them, a God who said, where are you? See, we have the same problems. And without Jesus, there's no hope. But I love this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. John says, beloved, let us love one another. Stop right there. Let us love one another. 
What's he talking about? Relationships. Now, if it was impossible to actually love one another, would God command it that we do it? No. So guess what? It's possible. He says, love one another, and here's how you do it, because the love that I'm talking about, you don't have yourself. It comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love God does not know God because God is love. And this is how God's love was revealed among us. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him and love consists in this. He says, this is how you love one another with this kind of love. Here's what he says. Not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Watch this, and then we're gonna receive communion. We, we have a relationship with God only because God did the work. And the work that he did was serious work. He invested in us. What did he give us so that we could have a relationship with him? He gave us his first and his best. He gave us Jesus. And why did he do that? Because a relationship with you and you and you is extremely important to God. The Bible says there's no greater love than that. And the Bible says in Romans chapter five, verse eight, that while we were sinners, he died for us. While we were away from God, had no relationship with him, we were far away, God did the work so that we could be part of his family. This is not rocket science but it's incredibly powerful. There's no way that we can have good relationships without the fact that God brings us into relationship with him and gives us the ability to love each other this way. And the only way we can do it is through Jesus. Because without Jesus, we're always gonna default to brokenness. We're always gonna default to pain. We're always gonna default to all of these things in the Old Testament and we'll just keep repeating the Jerry Springer show over and over and over. But here's the good news. You don't have to live that way. You don't have to be that way because God gives us grace through his son, Jesus. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to the Grace Assembly of God podcast so you're up to date on all sermons. Also, if you want more Grace content, make sure you subscribe to the Deeper Grace podcast, where Pastor Wayne will dive deeper into his most recent message. Have a great week, and God bless.